from Joshua chapter 20. 20. <coughs> uh, we're going to go through, I think, two chapters tonight. Chapter 20 has only got nine verses in it, but there's a lot in it. Um, so we ended last week with... Uh, the division of the lands and kind of where everybody was was going to end up. And in Joshua 20, verse 1, <clears throat> the Lord speaks to Joshua saying, Speak to the children of Israel saying, Appoint for yourself cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the slayer who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there. And they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. <clears throat> so now that everybody has their place settled, um, there is uh, the obedience to Moses who in, instituted a thing called the cities of refuge. There's going to be eight of them and they're going to be spread out so that everyone is close enough to get to a city of refuge. And the city of refuge, you look at verse 3, was specifically for somebody who accidentally or unintentionally uh, slayed somebody or killed somebody. Uh, maybe they were throwing a rock and it hit somebody and they died or whatever it might be. Um, but there was in the, the Jewish law one called the avenger of blood in which it would be eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. If you murdered someone in their family, they would hunt you down. And they would they would kill you. Um, the problem is, is the intention of the action. Not all. Some deaths are accidental. You know, I was uh, years ago. I was uh, driving. I was coming down Olive, and I was taking a right onto G Street, and I looked, and and then headed out, and some kid just on a bike I barely missed him I didn't even see him and uh, it was the closest I ever came to hitting somebody and I just thought about how that would have changed everything if I would have hit that kid and killed him and it was just like there are evil people and thou shalt not kill it's it's a, a commandment of God but there's also things that are accidental that we just can't help the accidents and yet those accidents have ruined people's lives and in both ways so here there was a way of protection in which a person who was being hunted could flee to the city of refuge and then verse 4 when he flees to one of the cities and stands at the entrance of the gate of the city and declares his case in the hearings of the elders of that city, they shall take him to the city as one of them and give him a place that he may dwell among them. So he goes to the city and he stands and declares his case in the hearing of the elders. This wasn't a place where we kind of have um, what people think are similar things to that in which we have sanctuary cities in our country in which they protect the guilty. This isn't a place where they protect the guilty. This is a place where you can go to and you can get a fair trial 
where the avenger of blood may kill you without a trial. So you could go there and verse 5, Then if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not deliver the slayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unintentionally but did not hate him beforehand. So here's an interesting thing. The Bible says, we talked about this actually on a Sunday morning, I think the last couple of weeks, that Jesus says, if you hate your brother, then what? Then you have committed murder. So here is a, a, the opposite. This is, if you look at that verse carefully, they did not hate him beforehand. So this is not somebody out of hatred going out to end somebody's life. It's a person that has unintentionally or accidentally taken a person's life where God looks at him as being innocent of that man's blood and murder, you see? But if you hate somebody in your heart, maybe you've never done anything physically to him, but God sees you as a murderer. So we see that God looks at the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's uh, Hebrews. And it's Hebrews 4. So this is all, uh, and, and it is the job of those in this, these um, cities of refuge to determine through a court or the elders what the intentions of this person were. So if they are determined to be guilty, they'll hand them over. If they're not, then verse 6 comes into play. He shall dwell in that city until he stands before the congregation for judgment. And until the death of those who are high priests in those days, then the slayer may return and come to his own city, in his own house, to the city from which he fled. So he will stand and wait trial. If he's deemed innocent, they will still leave him in that city and protect him. But when the high priest dies, whoever it might be, and that lifetime um, kind of an office, once the high priest dies, they can go back home. So they appointed Kadesh of Galilee in the mountains of Naphtali, Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim, Kerzath, Arba in the mountains of Judah. On the other side of the Jordan by Jericho eastward, they assigned Abizer in the wilderness in the plain of the tribe of Judah, Ramoth in Gilead, the tribe of Gad, Golan in Basham, and the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities appointed to all the children of Israel and for the stranger who dwelt among them, who act, whoever killed a person accidentally might flee there and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood until he stood before the congregation. So this is the idea of guilt or innocence. So how does this apply to us? There are so many parallel verses in Scripture on this subject. Uh, so let's start with Romans 3. In verse 19 of Romans 3, it says, We know 
that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. So, do do you know what the purpose of the law is according to the Bible? Yes, it is a schoolmaster or a taskmaster that is to draw us to God because under the law, what does it teach us about ourselves? That we are guilty. And so under the law, because the only way to earn your way to heaven, which you can't, by the way, would be to keep every law perfectly every second you're alive. If you're guilty of one, you have guilty of all of them and the wages of sin is death and so because of the law it teaches us that we all stand guilty before God so just like the one who took a life of another person that person is guilty of taking that life even if it was accidentally he still has taken a life so look, if you will, to Acts chapter 3. This is a great, great, great verse. And we're going to look at verse 17. We're going to start in verse 16. Um, so in Acts chapter 2 the Holy Spirit comes and Peter begins to preach this message the message is that you are guilty of killing the Savior of taking the life of Jesus Christ in verse 15 he says you killed the verse Prince of Peace whom God raised from the dead he says here's the part look at verse 14 you deny the Holy One and the just and ask for a murderer to be granted to you. So that's, they let Barabbas go and then they murdered Jesus Christ, the Prince of Life. And I have some more bad news for everybody that Peter's talking to. He's raised from the dead. And his name through his faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know, yes, the faith which comes through him has given him the perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Yet, now, brethren, I know you did it in ignorance, as did your rulers. This is an incredible salvation verse. The wages of sin is death. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11, when it's talking about the Lord's Supper, that if you take the, this cup and the and the and the bread unworthily, you um, you have taken the life. You're guilty of the blood and the body of Christ. So if you think that you can get to heaven without salvation through Christ, you're still guilty of murder. But there's always the opportunity for us to repent. Look at verse 18. But those things which uh, God foretold by his mouth and all of his prophets that Christ would suffer 
has been fulfilled. So you are guilty of murder, but I know you did it in ignorance, and it was the plan of God. Therefore, repent, verse 19, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out and the times of refreshing may come. So this is the same principle of the city of refuge. We are guilty, but we didn't know it. We were ignorant. The rulers were ignorant. And it was God's will for this to happen. But what do you have to do now? You have to repent. You have to actually throw yourself on the mercy of the city of refuge. If you look at the apostles or the teachers or the pastors or the preachers or, or the word and you say, ah, no way. I don't care. I don't, I don't care that he died and rose again. Well, now you're no longer ignorant. This is why the world loves darkness rather than light. They want to remain ignorant of their sins. Our position in Christ is to preach that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the only way to be forgiven is to repent. Not a lot of churches today preach the idea of repenting, but without repenting, then you are willfully. Do you see the difference? There's no more ignorance once the, 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 the message is given. And so they have a chance for their ignorance to be forgiven. But they also have a chance now to say, oh, I don't want anything to do with them. To whom much is given, what's the next part? Much is required. And the more information we give out, the more is required of the person who gets that information. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. So, we are now guilty before God. We realize that it was ignorance. We didn't know any better. We are kind of lost in our sins. In Hebrews chapter 6, we're going to look at verse 17. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly, Hebrews six seventeen, the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel confirmed by his oath, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that is set before us. This hope we have in an anchor of the soul, sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become the high priest, how long? Forever. So look at this picture. Under the cities of refuge, you were protected until the high priest died. When the high priest died, you were sent back to your home. We are guilty of murder. And the one who was murdered was the very 
Son of God. Yet, we did it in ignorance. So we flee to the only place of refuge, which is, according to Hebrews 6, Jesus Christ himself. And we are now protected under the refuge of Christ until the high priest dies. But what's it say in verse 20? You have become high priest, how long? Forever. So we are forever protected from our sins and deemed not guilty through the blood and the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Guilty of murder, ignorantly protected by the God of refuge, Jesus Christ himself. How long? Forever. It's such a beautiful picture. It's such a beautiful kind of overlay of truth and and salvation. And so that city of refuge in Joshua 20 uh, certainly is a beautiful picture of salvation and of Christ and of our state. I was talking, Matt was talking to me earlier about the voice of one crying in the wilderness and how when you overlay that to mankind, we're all crying out in the wilderness and looking for God. And it's just, it's just a beautiful picture. All right, so let's go back to Joshua 21. One thing that should help us when we're when we're sharing Christ is the the idea that most people that speak against Christianity, most people that don't go to church, most people that don't want anything to do with God, it's just because they're ignorant of who he really is. And and our opportunity is to be able to show them who he is whether it's through our actions or our involvement or our give and take with them. Um, So now we're going to look at some... um, Chapter 21 is simply the distribution of where the Levites are supposed to go. Now, if you remember, the Levites got no inheritance, but they were spread out throughout all of the different regions in order to minister. Let's look at verse 1. Uh, so the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites came near to Eleazar the priest, to Joshua the son of Nun, and to the heads of the fathers' houses and of the tribes of the children of Israel. They spoke to them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan, saying, The Lord commanded through Moses to give us cities to dwell in with their common lands for our livestock. Okay, so this is going back to what Moses said that they would go and live in certain areas, they wouldn't own the land. They would have a common land. And we've already talked before about this is really a representation of the body of Christ. This world is not, we're sojourners. We're kind of passing through. And while we have things, you know when the apostles were first forming the church in the book of Acts, uh, many of them sold all of their property in order not to be tied down. And, I, you know, it's it's an interesting thing. I've, I've thought a lot about this over the years, that, um, you know, this current system that we have of, of churches and pastors, 
we are following the biblical precedent of, of elders, uh, but I think sometimes for myself, if God wanted to move me somewhere, you know, I'd have to sell my house and I have to, I'm not really free to go wherever I, God would tell me to go at any moment. And, and I'm, I'm not sure that that lines up perfectly with how it was done in the book of Acts where Paul could just go anywhere. He could just go. And sometimes I think about that. But we are in the system that we're in. So these Levites, they would have certain places they would go. And the children of Israel, verse 3, gave to the Levites from their inheritance at the commandment of the Lord these cities and their common lands. Now the lot came out from the families of the Kohathites and the children of Aaron, the priest, who were of the Levites, and had 13 cities by lot from the tribe of Judah, from the tribe of Simeon, from the tribe of Benjamin. The rest of the children of Kohath had 10 cities by lot, and the families of the tribe of Ephraim, the tribe of Dan, the tri- half a tribe of Manasseh. The children of Gershon had 13 cities by lot, from the families of the tribe of Issachar, and the tribe of Asher, and the tribe of Naphtali, and half the tribe of Manasseh and Bashan. The children of Merari, according to their families, had 12 cities, and the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and the tribe of Zebulon. And the children of Israel gave these cities with their common lands by lot to the Levites as the Lord commanded. So all of these cities, 13 here, 12 here, 10 here, they casted lots like we talked about last. And the Levites were then given specific areas. And so in that manner, you know, the lot for the Flanagans fell in the grand, thank God, praise the Lord. Can't believe he would let me be here, but it's incredible. And, uh, you know, so far the lot hasn't been casted anywhere else, and hopefully it never will be. Um, but that is, is kind of where you go. And in each town, if you know that there's a verse in the New Testament where um, Paul would appoint elders in every city. And he would go as a missionary, start a church, and then appoint elders. And that's kind of how we're, we're trying to do that today. Um, so let's talk about something we touched on last week and let's go to genesis 49 um we touched a little bit on this last week because there's there's two as we've gone through this there are two tribes you know joseph has his double blessing of the two tribes but there were two that really didn't get their own set place One we talked last week was Simeon, where he kind of melded into Judah. And the other was the Levites. They don't get their own place. So Genesis chapter 49, verse 5. uh, Jacob is gathering all of his sons and pronouncing the blessings upon them. And verse 5, he says, Simeon and Levi are brothers instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place let not my soul enter their council let not my honor be united to their assembly for in their anger they slew a man and in their self-will they hamstrung an ox cursed be their anger for it is fierce and their wrath for it is cruel i will divide them in jacob and scatter them in israel so remember we talked last week about going and looking further on why 
Uh, Simeon didn't really get his own. And so what is he talking about? Well, let's go to Genesis 34. And we won't go through this whole chapter, but we'll touch on this. In Genesis 34, Dinah, their sister, is defiled. And so in Genesis 34, the, the brothers want to take revenge on Shechem. The, the problem is they, they want to violently destroy the whole place. And they do not have God's instruction or permission to do this. And, of course, not everybody in the town is guilty. So verse 25 of Genesis 34, it came to pass on the third day when they were in pain. So they convince this town and all the men of the town to do what? To get circumcised. And then he, they waited for them to be in pain from the surgery and they go attack them. In verse 25, they were in pain. Two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took his sword and came boldly upon the city and killed all the males. They killed Hamor and Shechem and his son with the edge of the sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house and went out. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because their sister had been defiled. They took their sheep and their oxen and their donkeys and what was in the city and what was in the field. And all their wealth and all their little ones and their wives they took captive and they plundered even all that was in the houses. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have troubled me by making me obnoxious among the inhabitants and among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And since I am few in number, they'll gather themselves together against me and kill me. I shall be destroyed, my household and I. But they said, should he treat our sister like a harlot? So did they repent? No, they just... Uh, and so... We talked last week that that and uh, my apologies for not having this information last week, but this is why you see back in genesis forty nine the prophecy or the premise that they would be scattered and so what's kind of neat here is the Levites performed a great service for God, so even in their sin, even in their punishment. Uh, God uses them for glory. It's an interesting thing. And even Simeon, they were still in the promised land. They just had to share it, and they lived among Judah. They didn't get their own. So it's pretty interesting in, in that manner. All right, let's go back to Joshua 21. And we're going to go all the way down to verse number 43. Um from verse 9 all the way down to 43 are the specific places that the Levites went to. So you can study that if you want to, look on a map. But it's just basically mapping out. So we get to verse 43, and it says, So the Lord gave to Israel all the land which he had sworn to give their fathers, and they took possession of it and dwelt in it. 
The Lord gave rest all around according to all that he had sworn to their fathers. Not a man of their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Now, there was a problem with this. At this point in history, the enemies are not standing against them. However, did they destroy all the enemies? No, Canaanites, they left them to be kind of enslaved. They're going to come back and it's going to be, they're going to cause a lot of problems in the future. But at this point, they have rest. Turn to Hebrews 4. We're going to look at verse 8 of Hebrews 4. And it mentions Joshua in verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who entered his rest has himself also ceased from works as God did from his when he said, it is finished. In verse 11, let us therefore be diligent to enter the rest lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. So we see there that there remains a rest for the people of God. And the Bible says to not be weary in doing good. There is a rest coming. We're not there yet. The rest is coming. For some of us, more rapidly than others, but the rest is coming. And for all of us, it could be any second. If the Lord returns, which, man, you look at this crazy world and it's certainly, you know, for for us as as a little bit of older in our years, um, are, are you, maybe I'm the only one, but it's just, I don't even know the word to describe it. I've never seen our government the way it is now. It's It's crazy people doing crazy things would you ever see the day where the speech is ripped up right behind the president's it's 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 so weird it's a very odd world we live in and and this is the nation under god by the way we're one nation under god but don't mention god in our schools that are run by our government even though we have the most religious freedom and it's a very odd time we live in so the lord could return any time and and he wouldn't surprise me could be another thousand years down the road i don't know but the time of rest is coming the time of rest is coming and somebody put on on um and I understand why they would put this, but they put something where it was like, oh, Lord, come quickly. You know, and, and I could see where you would have that attitude. But I'm I'm very happy with my life. I'm in no hurry to go. But every day that we're here, someone's coming to Christ somewhere. Right? And god is on the throne he's in control it would let you look at these things and shake your head it's almost comical in a way 
it's just it's just something. But God, boy, He's gonna. The rest is coming. Amen. The rest is coming. Go ahead, Don. Right. Right. And I think that's what that Hebrews verse is talking about. That that you know Israel had rest. Now. Rest from their enemies. And we have rest from should be guilt, rest from fear, you know, rest from sorrow. Um but that verse also said there's another rest there there's any there's a greater rest coming. And I like what you said, Don, because it's true. You know, we were talking the other day. For a Christian, if you're a Christian, then this world is the worst it ever gets. This is the this is the worst place you're ever going to live is this earth. And yet, for a Christian, it could be a pretty joyful place. There's crazy things happening around us. But I have a good family, health. I love, I love my life. For a non-Christian, this is the best it ever gets. And with a non-Christian, they don't have the hope that you have. They don't have the joy that you have. They have the anxiety, the depression, the anger. Where you know, they're they're in the speech. You know, there was nothing outlandish except. America, I love our country, you know, but it wasn't what he was saying. It was who was saying it. The anger is so much that there's no joy there. To be, can you imagine living in that mindset of being angry 24 hours a day? You're right, Don. With Christ, we have rest from that. We have rest. And, you know, we've seen, you know, how many State of the Union addresses have you ever seen? Some you probably agreed with and some you probably didn't quite agree with. But blessed be the name of the Lord, amen? It just, you know, and so, um, yeah, Don, you're exactly right. So let's go back and we'll close with the last verse in Joshua 21, which is the great encouraging verse of the night. And it says, Not a word failed, of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel, all came to pass. So, if I say to you what I've just said, that the eternal rest is coming and the Lord is going to return someday, and your response is, yeah, I've heard that. I've been hearing that. The same old thing. Preacher's been saying that for hundreds of years. You're right. They've been saying that for 2,000 years. From the moment that Jesus ascended into heaven and they were told by the angels that he is going to return in the same manner in which he went up, they have been looking, anticipating, since Acts 1-9, the return of Christ. We're anticipating it, waiting for it. And you know how we know what's happening? Because of this verse. All the words of God, not one failed, not one good thing the Lord spoken, all came to pass. And everything you read in Scripture is going to come to pass. 
my eternity, my salvation, my absent from the body, present with the Lord, and the return of the Lord, where the dead in Christ will meet him in the air, and then those which are alive will, will be gathered up and caught up. All of that's coming. Why? Because it's impossible for God to lie. And everything came to pass. And you go all the way back to Moses and all the way back to the very beginning. This is kind of, you know, Abraham to the end of this chapter of Joshua. All of that came to pass. The promised land and everything. It's incredible. And that is the same God who holds your future in his hand. Standing on his promises. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful to you that we can trust that all you say will come to pass. And Lord, we look and we study the Bible and we see these stories and sometimes they become like fairy tales, but they're not. It's history. This is a history book. Lord, and the same God who has orchestrated and woven throughout the history of Israel every promise to come true, we can stand on those same promises. You are returning. You are holding us in the palm of your hand. No one will pluck us out. And there is a rest and a refuge and a Savior that loves us and that can give us all of those things right this second. We thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name.